Welcome back to the Pursuit of Freedom podcast, you wonderful human being. I'm so excited to have you here. Today is part two of my conversation with Josh Hoffman. If you missed part one last week, please go back and listen to it first because you'll get so much more value listening to both parts. Before I roll the episode, I want to give another content warning. We will be continuing to talk about mental health and um, Josh actually goes into his suicide attempt in quite a bit of detail. Other topics we'll be covering include um, medication and some of the struggles with that. And also what Josh is up to today, because he's more than just his depression diagnosis. But if you need to skip today's episode or come back to it at another time, that is totally okay. You matter and you need to take care of yourself. So there's no judgment here. I'm proud of you. And enjoy today's episode, or I'll catch you next week for a new one. Let's go. G'day, and welcome to the Pursuit of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Rosie Burrows, and I'm on a journey to find my freedom so that I can help you do exactly the same. Join me each week as I share the stories of everyday people who have found their own path to freedom. I'm not going to focus on job titles and accolades because I don't care about that stuff, and neither should you. I want to uncover what truly makes you tick. Who are you when you step away from society's expectations and follow your heart? I still haven't figured it out yet. Have you? Either way, buckle up, because it's going to be one hell of a ride. So you're 23 now, 11 years post-diagnosis, right? Correct. Um, Roughly. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on who you are now and what it's like because major depression is not something that is curable you can right so it's with you for life but it's not the same throughout your life so how would you say you are now compared to when you were first diagnosed oh my gosh it is the world of difference um Mm -hmm. they're two different people Honestly, they are two different people. Like, <laughs> honestly, my past self, my 12-year-old self, maybe not an older version, so maybe not my 17-year-old self, uh, but my 12-year-old self, 13, 14, probably 15, probably would hate me. Um, right. <laughs> uh, not necessarily hate me completely, uh, yeah. but would just hate that I'm so positive. Like, right. they would just they would just not like that. They're like, you know, why are you so happy? What what makes you happy? What, you know, that type of thing. Kind of jealous of it. There's a world of difference, but it didn't just happen overnight. One of the biggest, two of the biggest uh, things that happened in my life actually did connect with my depression and suicidal ideation. Uh, in 2018 to 19, I actually did have a suicide attempt Mm -hmm. and I actually was, uh, it was an overdose Mm -hmm. and I actually was fairly close to actually successfully killing myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the past, there had been so many other times where I had, you know, close moments where uh, I was definitely pondering it or thinking it or mm-hmm. even 
willing to go about it. But something about this day, I just took the action on it. And I think for me, it's weird because when I think back on it, the day I actually did uh, commit suicide, that I hate it. I, I'm like angry at myself. Like, All I right. think that I'm angry at myself not that I committed suicide because honestly, I feel like I needed this is very controversial to people. So, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I think I could have got this enlightenment without doing this, mm-hmm. but I think that if I hadn't committed suicide suicide then, it would have been later right? at some point just because of how life was going. And mm-hmm. also a fair, uh, th- this is something I left out that I've just remembered of mm-hmm. my uh, depression and suicide ideation was so bad and I wanted to make it through school and I didn't mm-hmm. feel like there was much purpose and passion for me and that stuff still but i wanted to at least get through school and stuff is my like main like not goal but my main like thing was like okay at 18 i'm gonna kill myself when i'm 18 because i'll wow. be be an adult like i i i guess it's not a goal but not like a goal like essentially like a a, a time limit mm-hmm. and i actually got past 18 before i actually did anything it was 19 so i was like oh i'm already a year past it or something but it was still like that. And so it was like after I hit, after I graduated 18 or I reached 18, it was a ticking time bomb, so to speak, right. a ticking t- clock. Cause I had already got gotten in my head somehow that I'm going to only live to 18 because I'm going mm. to kill myself. Like mm. I got into my head so much that it was a self fulfilling prophecy in a way. Right. And I don't recommend that for anyone, uh, but don't do that, please. But uh, at night, back to that, I at 19, I overdosed, and I was dating my ex at the time, and I remember it very vividly that I took the pills. I was actually medicated at the time. I, had, I was actually in therapy, so mm-hmm. it's not like I wasn't good i was better i was better than i was than i used Mm -hmm, to be mm -hmm. but it still was just a bunch of things added up together yeah and people that um deal with depression or deal with other mental illnesses such as bipolar or other uh, anxiety know that when stressful circumstances add up especially in one day it Mm. it can sometimes push you over that line sometimes or make it really difficult. Um, and that it, it was just that type of day for me, I guess. It's like it pushed me over that line. But it's it's frustrating at that day because looking back at other days, other days I was at a more intense suicidal state, but I didn't try to commit suicide that those mm-hmm. days. But this day was actually not that intense compared to other things. But I think what the part of it was is I had also a lot of anger at life and myself and other stuff and anger if you don't know can make you take action and i think that's why it kind of also pushed that a little bit but Mm -hmm. i overdosed and after i actually took the pills and everything uh and i had like cried and everything and before taking them and taking them and then i the first thought that came into my head like not an hour 
like, okay, maybe a little bit. I started feeling my, so an hour or so after it, my plan was I wasn't going to tell anyone. Mm-hmm. I was just going to die in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. I forgot I was going to go to my brother's game that day, night. Right. So, but I'm sorry, I'm bouncing all over the place. Um, right. But so I remember I like an hour or so later, uh, my heart started pounding a lot, mm-hmm. like really, really fast. Because one of the medications I took, uh, my antidepressants, I think, make it so your heart beats faster. And then I think I also took Adderall at the time. And it just made my heart beat. And my heart was beating really fast. And I could just feel like this weird sense of feeling of like almost like my soul wasn't leaving me yet or anything. But it almost felt that way. I don't know how to yeah. explain it. Like it, I was still there. Mm-hmm. I was still conscious. But my, it felt like I, it felt like a part of me was like dying. It's the best way because I was, mm-hmm. um, essentially. And I was like, oh, sh-. I was like, oh shit, am I? I was sitting in my chair because I was like, oh, not, I'm fine, you know. If whatever, an hour went by, nothing's happened. Okay, I'm fine, or you know, I'll throw it all up or something or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then an hour went by and this started happening. I'm like, oh shit, am I? Am I dying? And the first, like, am I actually like dying now? And it like it was very like scary for me. And the first mm-hmm. thought was, I don't want to die. I want to live. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me. And I laid down. I was laying down, and I remember I have to call some. I call someone or something. I don't know mm-hmm. why I did this, but I called my girlfriend. She was the closest one to me at the time. Mm-hmm. So I called my ex, you know, told her I just overdosed and committed suicide. I don't even remember all of what she said. She's like, have you told your mom? I'm like, no. Have you told anyone else? I'm like, no. And then I was like, oh, I have to go to my brother's game or whatever and hung up on her. So what happened was I'm in the car. Mm-hmm. I'm still conscious at this time. I'm in the car. It's my brother. My brother had a basketball game. Uh, my little brother, my mom, and my stepdad. And I'm conscious still We're for 30 minutes. I mean, this has been like an hour. I talked to my girlfriend. That was 30 minutes mm-hmm. and 30 minutes. So it probably had been like three to four hours since I took the pills. And this was a lot. I was talking to my mom and my stepdad. And then all of a sudden, uh, my mom started saying stuff. And I was trying to hide it from them. Right. Uh, and my mom was like, you're not making any sense. Mm. I remember vividly sh- that she said that. You're not making any sense. I'm like, what? What do you mean? I'm making sense. And I and and to this like to this day, like in my ears, I was hearing me talk somewhat normally. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe I sounded differently or whatever it was. But she or she could sense something was off. And she said, you know, you're not making any sense are you okay? You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Mm. And, uh, she's like, I think we're going to take you to the emergency room wow, or something. Cause I, cause I don't know. You, you must've just... seemed really off then. Or some... yeah. yeah. You seemed off or something. And I was like, no, don't do that. And that honestly, that's the last thing I remember. Mm. I, I must've like passed out or lost conscious. I, I think I was conscious somehow, but I lost my, 
memory consciousness right. because that's the last thing I physically actually remember. And I remember the next day I wake up in the hospital uh, bed mm -hmm. and it's sunny now. And they and I wake up in the bed. I'm strapped in a little bit. Um, I think my arms and legs are strapped in, and I and it's like up a little bit. They know the nurse or whatever noticed I was there. My mom was to the left of me. She said, "You know, good morning or something." Or you doing all right? It's like yeah. And then I looked down. I'm like, I'm strapped in. And I like needed to go to the bathroom or whatever. And uh, they unstrapped my arms and then, or they unstrapped my legs. And then eventually, I think they unstrapped my arms, I guess, later when they made sure I wasn't going to do anything to myself. This was the scary thing I was not solid on my feet walking. Mm hmm. Uh, what they called it is I had apparently serotonin syndrome, essentially when you have an right. over, over low, uh, over load of serotonin in your body mm -hmm. uh, from my uh, SSRIs pretty much. And um, so I wasn't able to walk really to the bathroom without help, at least that mm -hmm. first day. I needed someone to hold on to or s at least, and it felt really weird. It's like being really drunk or something. I don't even know how to explain it. It's like really weird. And I was worried, honestly. I was like, mm. is this going to be my life? Mm. Uh, just being in this wobbly state, wobbly, woozy state. Plus, my brain was still like a little foggy. Mm -hmm. That night, that first night, my girlfriend came in and talked to me, cried. But I was cried a little bit and stuff. And I, mm. you know, I held out my arm, but I was still like, out of it too a little bit um you know i tried to console her <laughs> um and be like yeah i'm okay i'm alive and all that type of stuff and the second day it, it i started getting better and i started walking uh and the third day or walking better and you know i wasn't fuzzy anymore by that day and the third day, I was actually, uh, by the end of that day, like night, I um, was actually uh, commissioned out or whatever it's called. Commission Is that the right word? Um, uh, let out of the hospital. And um, they still had to do, like, doctors came in and had to, like, check up on my thing, which I fucking hated. I even, like, told my mom. I was like, this is fucking dumb. And she's like, well, it's because you try to kill yourself i'm like i know why but this is dumb uh, because i the last thing i wanted to do was talk to them because honestly mm -hmm. i was still in a i was still partially on in a suicidal state yeah because i couldn't take my meds obviously yeah. because of the overdose and i also just was like feeling guilty and shameful and all these other emotions too and I felt one of the things that really broke my heart is my mom. I could tell on like one of the days I was looking over to my mom and or I was talking to my mom, probably the second or third day. And I could tell that she needed to cry or wanted to cry. Mm. And I said. Because I like 
I'm aware of that. And I was like, y- you know, you can cry, right? Mm-hmm. And she said, I know, but I want to be strong for you. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that broke my heart. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that I, that she, that, that she felt that she had to hold her tears in around me at least then because Mm -hmm. I was going through that like that really like broke my heart too that being said when I was actually in the hospital on the third day I I was on an upper a higher upper floor than I was on the like first floor I was still on a floor but like I could see out I could see a window it was a smaller room and I could see the window while the other one the bed was facing towards like the lobby-ish area Mm -hmm. and even then I was still suicidal and a little bit and I looked out that uh window and uh, some of the some thoughts I had I remember I was like you know I could jump out that window mm. and I probably wouldn't survive that and then I remember also when we were talking a little bit of why I did it and all these types of things a little bit uh driving back because me and my mom, just my mom and I, driving back in her car back home. I remember even then, I wasn't going to do anything, but I still remembered I was very suicidal. And it was intense. And um, after that, uh, because I was in control of my medication at that point, after that, um, I wasn't in control of my medication for obvious reasons. And, um, well, a lot of things happened um Mm. through that but the positive that came out of that experience uh and the well yeah the positive specifically that experience was that i figured out that because up until that point i was living the only reason why why i hadn't really committed suicide up to that point or hadn't like done anything is because I was living for other people. Right. I was living on their terms, essentially living for other people, living because, mm-hmm. yeah, I was living for other people. But something changed after that, and I figured out maybe it was just that, that one thought I had of, I don't want to die, I want to live. Mm-hmm. And up at that point, maybe I realized I wasn't really living for me. Mm-hmm. And something clicked where... I maybe not instantly after that. I don't know how long it was, but definitely in like a year or so. Uh, I've completely changed in the way of that. I don't want, I've changed from living for other people and according to their values and what they expect of me and all those stuff society expects of me for instead living for myself and living mm. for my own values and living for my own expectations and living for what I want out of life and no one else. Mm. And yeah, and like so much a, a different person. Uh, you know, after that, I mean, I also kept, uh, I did lose like the therapist I had. That was a CBT therapist. Um, because of the suicide attempt, he uh stopped being my therapist but right. sent me to dbt 
which actually was a very positive thing because DBT has helped me a lot. Um, and I got still the medication I had and actually I got a little bit different, but essentially got medicated again. Uh, some of them maybe a little bit differently. And yes, also this is like a little bit off topic, but it relates to the medication therapy mm-hmm. or I'm not medication therapy, but medication, um, is at least for my doctor my therapist office or whatever which was the cbt one not the dbt one but i would imagine dbt also has in other places have it is if you guys um have the ability to uh i would highly recommend if you don't want to feel that sense of like being a guinea pig and trying all these different medications that don't work because i know that was one of the things i hated and i was like i don't want to keep trying a bunch of medications and them not working and having the side effects and still not feeling better um there was a thing that my psychologist or psychiatrist psychiatrist is what they're called psychiatrist brought up that essentially they can do uh a gene testing it's just they take a Mm. swab of your uh uh saliva maybe for some people it's blood testing Mm -hmm. and um that that definitely helped. It pretty much tells you what medication is effective and not effective mm. and all those types of things and or more likely to work. And right. the first one that we tried for the SSRI or whatever it was uh, worked way better than it ha- any of the other ones had worked. Wow. So I highly recommend that if you can talk to your psychiatrist, if you do, if you guys do have one or. Uh, or if you don't and you're interested in going the medication route or feel that you do need to and you get a psychiatrist that you tell ask them if they have uh, gene testing, I think is what it would be called, but a gene mm-hmm. testing of some sort for medication effectiveness and see if you can do it earlier than later. They might tell you, oh, you have to, well, before you can do it, you have to try two or three medications and then if that is so do that and if those don't work for you then uh i would recommend just doing the gene testing and then yeah i mean you might not have as much you might not have as much success as i did but uh you're i feel like you're more likely because that's yeah. fascinating because I didn't even know that was an option. So for those yeah. of you listening, you know, I'm also medicated. I have bipolar type 2 and it was a journey getting the medication mix yeah. right. Like so frustrating and unsettling. And in fact, before I got the bipolar diagnosis, they misdiagnosed me with um, depression. Oh, really? And Depression is part of bipolar, right? It's extended periods of depression and then also um, mania or hypomania. And what I would say is you really need to be vocal with your doctor with how you're feeling and what the medication is doing. Um, Because the first lot of medication I got, I felt for the first – this is probably not – the best language but i felt like a mad person on this medication it made me absolutely manic it made me worse yeah and the doctor said i'll oh, just try it for a few weeks longer 
And I remember walking out of the office. I was in the car park. I was just crying and I was agitated and I called my mum and I was just swearing my head off at her. I'm like, I can't fucking do this, you know. And my poor mum's like, what do I do? You know, I was in my 20s. She lived, you know, a flight away. You know, we weren't close. Yeah. I can't fucking do this, the stupid fucking doctor. Anyway, thank goodness <laughs> she called the doctor and said, look, I think you need to make a change. Like my daughter is not coping. Yeah. And thank goodness she did that because they switched the medication and they say it can take weeks or months to notice a difference. I felt a difference the next day. Like it wasn't yeah. like I was better, but I went, ooh, this feels a bit different. And that medication didn't turn out to be quite the right mix because they still thought I just had depression by itself. And Mm. so I had to keep being vocal. I said, yeah, I'm feeling better, but I'm just noticing like I was still experiencing depression, but I was saying to the doctor, I'm getting these, I'm getting these highs, you know, like I just get obsessive with things and really energetic and believe anything's possible. And then, you know, this goes on for weeks and then I just crash into a depressive episode. Yeah. And he sort of went, hmm. And, you know, I was doing my own research at the time. That's the kind of person I am. And I was True. sort of beginning to suspect I might have bipolar. Um, but it took a lot of pushing this doctor to oh, even yeah. explore that. And I had to... You know, seeing a GP and, you know, they have knowledge, but they don't have that specialized knowledge. Um, You know, they're a generalist, right? And I pushed and pushed and pushed. I said, I want to see a psychiatrist. And initially he didn't. He said, no, you can see a psychologist. But psychologists in Australia can't prescribe medication. They don't have that knowledge or that power. And the psychologist he sent me to was useless. It just made me really (laughs) agitated. (laughs) But I kept pushing Um, and eventually I saw a psychiatrist and wow, what a game changer. She, she, you know, tweaked the medication and I'm on two different ones now. Um, I'm on an antidepressant and a mood stabilizer. And that combination for me is just so much better. And it did take a few tries of different combinations. Like it wasn't like it was perfect overnight, but that wouldn't have happened if I didn't keep pushing and, it's hard because you don't always have the energy or ability to do that. And initially it was my mum who helped me push through and the medication then helped me get to a space where I had a bit of, okay, I can try and push. But I had people around me who, who were going, Rosie, just keep pushing this doctor. You need to see mm-hmm. someone with that specialist knowledge. So I would say, you know, do your best to just vocalise it. The doctor does not know what you're going through. Oh, yes, yes. I... Would uh, I agree with you 100% that uh, something that I had to learn because my mom actually was such a strong advocate, which was a positive but also a negative in some ways because mm-hmm. uh, as I got older and for medication and for therapy and some other stuff, I kind of and for other things that have that like work even like you you have to be an advocate for yourself mm-hmm. and uh i r- recommend especially if you guys are young listening that it's a important skill to learn like I, it's not easy 
it's it's yeah. really not easy but to learn when to stand your ground and mm-hmm. essentially pick your battles and to know when you need to advocate uh, advocate for yourself especially with doctors because i've had experience with my general doctor doctor and just doctors in general that i think a lot of doctors mean well uh, psychologists psychiatrists in general and and general doctors but they they don't know they they fully don't know what is going on in your body you know what's going on in your body exactly. and the only way they're going to be able to fully help you or hopefully fully help you is if you communicate to them and sometimes be a little bit of dare i say a hard ass with them I mean, there were times where my mom had to really put her foot down and say, no, this is this is what's going on. You don't get it. And sometimes you have to be like that with them because Mm -hmm. sometimes they really don't get it. Like with uh, medication, sometimes they'd be like, oh, no, try that for two more, two, two more weeks. And if you're experiencing especially negative, very negative symptoms in the first few days, you got to say to them, you have to advocate for yourself. If you don't have someone else that can advocate for you, especially to say to them, no, I'm not going to take this anymore. I need something else Mm -hmm. or I'm just Mm -hmm. not taking this anymore because I'm having X symptoms. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, yeah. it's so important. It really is. And it's not easy. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I kind of struggled with the idea of being on medication for a while. Oh yeah, I struggled with it for a uh for a while and I think uh I can't speak for every single individual, but mm-hmm. I would say a high percentage of individuals that deal with some sort of mental illness uh does have this experience where they are in the in the stage where they're maybe gonna get medicated or maybe not like maybe they're seeing a therapist or maybe they haven't seen a therapist uh, but they're thinking about going to therapy they're thinking about maybe medication right mm-hmm. but they're like well I don't want to be one of the like there's there's so much stigma with it yes. in in our society of like oh well especially in um I can only speak for American society but um, American society, and I think a lot of other societies, to be fair, but American society really pushes on this thing of uh, do it yourself, you know, be on your own. You're, you, if you can't, f- you have to figure it out yourself. No one, you know, no one else really help you, so to speak. Yeah. And, um, well, that's the reality is that's just not true for anybody. And with, um, so with medication, it's kind of there's the stigma, especially with like um, mental illness medication, uh, where people are like, "Well, I don't need it. I I don't want to rely on that. I don't want to need it as a crutch. I want to be, you know, uh, natural. I want to be all natural. I don't want to feel like I need a drug, uh, to be happy or need a drug mm-hmm. to, uh, function properly. But for it." And that may be true. Uh, for some people, that is true. Sometimes you don't necessarily need a um, a drug. But sometimes you don't know if you do need one or if it will benefit you 
I, mm-hmm. I it's I caution to or I'm careful to say uh, need because need is a, such a strong word for that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, if it will benefit you and actually like help, uh, because sometimes uh, you won't know until you try. Right. And I know that for me, there definitely was this huge stigma where I was like, I don't need this. I don't need a drug. What? I don't want to rely on drugs. Like I, that was the thing for me is I don't, I really didn't want to rely on drugs. And I knew that, uh, cause my grandma, uh, takes medication for her and she went through the process of having to try all of them. I really did not want to be a guinea pig. That's how I word it. I didn't really want to be that guinea pig testing all these different drugs that have these potentially negative side effects and all these things and still feeling depressed and maybe some of the other medications make me feel even worse like they did uh, for you. Uh, Like I had one that made me have this really like I had I take I took this one for like one to three days and like the second or third day I had to stop taking it because I felt so out of it and so Mm. foggy in my head. Mm. I was like, it almost felt the same as um when I had my suicide attempt because wow. it uh it with the fogginess of the brain not mm-hmm. like the other part but the fogginess like mm-hmm. I was just like I couldn't think straight really yeah yeah um so yes I I don't think everyone needs uh everyone can how do I wear this I don't think everyone needs medication but I think that you should also not necessarily fully cross it off as a possibility right, right. Uh, especially if you haven't um, especially if you've been struggling for a while and yeah. other things don't seem to be working yeah what i would say is medication won't cure you oh yeah speaking from my experience but it's not going to cure you you know there's no cure for depression or bipolar or or all these what they call illnesses or disorders i really dislike that it's called a disorder i think that's another misconception yeah about the Um, the medication sorry to interrupt yeah for sure it does not fix you you could be on medication and still be totally (laughs) fucked up you know if you're not doing the other work (laughs) right um but what what medication helped with for me like I just I couldn't function I couldn't even it was just I couldn't even get out of bed just getting change was a mission having a shower you know and people would say to me just take it day at a time and I'm going I can't even think that far ahead like a day for me was just so overwhelming and what medication did for me is it helped me begin to function again it -hmm. just took the edge off that little bit so I go, okay, I can get out of bed today. All right. You know, yeah. just those small steps. That's what it helped me do. It gave me just enough of a boost that I had the capacity to be able to help myself. So therapy and, you know, um, you know, if exercise is a thing for you, all these different things, it gave me that little boost. But I would agree, you know, you were saying in American society, the view of medication over there, and it's, I would say, is very similar over here and is often yeah. seen as the, easy way out yeah and i hate that i hate that thing of like i hate that thing like i also think there's that stigma also 
with uh, that that same wording for suicide of it's the easy way out. <sighs> and I really, I, from my own experience uh, with actually um, committing suicide and just also uh, talking with other, in, other individuals and my own research and understanding of depression and mental illness and suicide and all these other different things of suicide attempts aren't or suicide is not the easy way out i would honestly say it's one of the hardest ways out uh because the the majority of the people that have um sadly died or lost their lives from suicide um some people listening to this may understand, but um, if you if you haven't uh, gone through it, um, it the best way I can explain it is that the suicide is just sorry. I'm trying to collect my thoughts here. That's all right. Um, that it's uh, it's a hard it's a hard way out because of the fact that most people that actually uh, most people that have committed suicide or even taken a suicide attempt and survived uh have the awareness and realization that it's going to hurt people hurt mm-hmm. others uh mm-hmm. they already know about the, the they already have that guilt and shame from society they already uh they already know the implications of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they just feel so... Like, from my perspective, if they feel so hopeless, so worthless, so pointless, so... so uh, Their emotions and their feelings and thoughts are so intense that they feel the only the only way to cure them or the only way to fix them or even fix themselves is to commit suicide and and i think that is a lot of a lot of people actually when they commit suicide people say oh the other thing that things that people say is oh that's a selfish act yeah well i maybe maybe it is for some people but i would say the majority of the time, that's not true. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the times, uh, because dep- at least my experience, I can't speak for everybody, but my experience with depression is that when I've had those really bad suicide ideation and suicide ideation where I'm, where it's getting to that point where it's close or it has, like, it's gotten to that place where it's close or with my suicide attempt. Um, that the thought process is not that oh i'm doing this as a way out mm-hmm. i mean yeah i'm doing it as a way to fix myself like the way to get out of the emotions and thoughts but a lot at least for me my my experience was i'm doing this to save people from myself right because I felt that I was a threat or a nuisance or mm. a waste of space, a waste of time, 
and I was essentially taking up resources, taking up money and food that other people uh, could be using. And I think a lot of people that uh, have gone through that can understand that um, mm. those thought processes and feelings. Yeah, and that does not—that's not selfish at all. In fact, that's selfless. Yeah, you know, um, and I think, yeah, it's difficult for you know. Whilst I haven't attempted suicide, I have had those thoughts, and I I resonate with what you're saying. And from what I've heard from, you know, others who have attempted suicide, the thoughts are, yeah, they are the common thoughts that people have. It's not from a place of being selfish at all. So I think that's important for people to understand and to say that it's selfish or the easy way out is just. It's invalidating. Really, it is invalidating. It's insensitive. It's dehumanizing. And I think that language really needs to stop. I agree. I, the other thing that I was uh, going to say that also uh, people, I think, think is that that is a common uh, phrase that's said mm -hmm. is, um, that the world would be better off without them. And if you just take that one phrase that's commonly heard, and we know that is commonly said in mm -hmm. the thoughts of suicidal uh, people that have suicide ideation and suicidal thoughts of just take that one phrase apart, that's a selfless thought and phrase. I mean, mostly it's a selfless phrase when you say, like, I think the world, I, I think, you know, I'm, you feel that you're so with the feeling of depression or the mental illness that you feel that you're so much of a waste of of a human life that you feel that the world, not even pe the people around you, but the world would be better off without you. Mm -hmm. And I think that is almost one of i mean there's other ways of selfless but that's almost the definition of selfless right there mm. again not that people should take their lives uh but i think people are thinking of it from the wrong angle i think why people think it's selfish and why people think it's the easy way out is because people it, people that have lost a loved one or lost someone that they cared about that did commit suicide they may call it selfish selfish or an easy way out and the only reason i think they say that is because of the fact that they did deeply care and love for that person and they can't wrap their head around fully why they did it and it's hard. I mean, it's really hard for a person to wrap their head around why why a person would or wouldn't uh, commit suicide. Mm -hmm. I, I, I imagine the people in my life, uh, my loved ones and anybody that was in my life at the time, still probably can't fully wrap their head around of why yeah. then. And even me. I, even myself, I can't wrap my head around exactly why that day I did other than another day. Like, that's one of the things I'm actually, like, frustrated with myself of, like, there were, like, looking back on my uh, life, I'm like, there were so, like, <laughs> not that this is a good comparison or a good mm -hmm. thing to do necessarily, but, like, 
there were so many worse days that you were having emotionally and suicidal ideation and all these types of things but you took but you did that day why that day like why was that day the thing and the only thing that i can really come to the consensus is that it was a compounding effect potentially Mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. it's just build up of build up of build up so that's the other thing to take into account for people of mm-hmm. for all emotions not just not just yeah, like yeah not just depression um but think about if someone was angry and they yelled at you or sad um obviously it's hard to remember that if they're yelling at you to not get angry yeah. with them but also come at it from a place of they're probably not just angry with you. That's also anger that's probably compounded from other events and other situations where they just mm-hmm. held it in and weren't angry at those individuals and you just were the place where it couldn't be held exactly. on anymore, so to speak. The wrong yeah. place, wrong time situation. Right, yeah. And I think all behavior has an underlying reason for that. Yeah. So, you know, while someone might be like for me in the parking lot swearing at my mum, I wasn't angry at her, but there was this build up of all these things going on that exactly. it was just her that it was projected to. And, you know, we have no idea what people are going through. So I think this whole thing of leading with empathy and it's mm-hmm. really hard. It is it's, hard. It's hard, of course. It's but really it's hard. It's so important. But it's good to remember to yes. tr- try to remember that everybody is going like this this has been said so many times but it's true like everybody is going through their own shit they're Mm -hmm. going through their own stuff you don't know exactly what is gonna what is going through their head uh and to think of it as honestly i don't want to put this narrative out there but Honestly, it might make it easier for some people of think of it as they are having a bad day than a good day. Because if they're having a good day and you're, you know, positive to them, then they're just going to have a better day. But if they're having actually a bad day and you think of it as they're having a bad day, well, you might bring their mood up. But I also don't necessarily want to come at it from the narrative of like, oh, just assume everybody's having a bad day. But in some ways, I, think, I don't I, assume, don't, don't assume, assume that they ev- have ill attentions, right? Don't assume yeah. the worst of that person. No, never. Um, we don't. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But I will say if like you are having that, if you are having that, um, you know, having a hard time with empathy. That's one way you could maybe help yourself. You've shared your story of how you attempted suicide and, you know, that's, that's a lot. And you've come through that. Yeah. And I know that, you know, you've got some great things going on. Like, for example, I know you're, you know, you've, you've got this podcast going on, The Burningly Passionate, it's titled. Can you share a bit about what's going on in your life at the moment that, like, let's pretend depression isn't in this conversation, right? (laughs) It's part of us, but let's just, let's put that to the side. Like, what's going on in life for you at the moment that's exciting and bringing you joy? There's actually a lot, believe it or not. Um, That's awesome. 
So I'm like honestly, if I was to explain it, I'm probably the best right now that I've ever been. Um, but right now, some of the things I'm go- got going on is I got the burningly passionate, like you mentioned. I am. I got my other YouTube channel um, mm-hmm. uh, that I've been working on for a while. JH, uh, it's called JH Productions Media. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's JH Productions right now, but. If you look on other channels, it's JH Productions Media. Um, I so I've been working on that for a while. Before then, I had a gaming YouTube channel that I put a lot of work in. Cool. But not really actively working on that because I've kind of been focusing on other stuff because I'm not really mm-hmm. gaming anymore. Uh, I have a good relationship and continuing my relationship with my girlfriend, and we're traveling a bunch on the weekends. Mm. Uh, like recently, I just went over to uh, the Redwoods, um, and yeah, like there's those types of things. And then I'm, uh, I'm working, you know, full time job. That's not the thing that I want to be doing right now. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's you know got to make money somehow right now. In the meantime, mm-hmm. um. And, you know, I'm just being very, I'm still being always self-aware of my energy, my mood, all those, mm-hmm. still those things. And, yeah, I mean, like, I, the best way can, I can explain it is I am definitely one of those people that is always doing something. I always have something. Yeah. Even if I'm not doing exactly what I just, all those things I explained there, I'm always doing something or most of the time, sometimes I'm relaxing mm-hmm. somewhat, but the majority of the time, I always have something in the works. Uh, yeah. Like right now, my new, not interest, but my new thing I'm trying to work on so I can make money um, doing something I care about more mm-hmm. uh, is I want to uh, dabble or get into uh, freelancing Mm-hmm. Uh, because I really want to work, be able to work remotely and start mm-hmm. getting on that, making that kind of as a mindset and actually getting into the work and actually be making money from it so I can mm-hmm. quit this job and I can actually be working uh, remotely and then I'm that way I'm location location independent. So if I wanted to, because I enjoy traveling and mm-hmm. uh that way I could, you know, I could go move over to Australia as an example or Southeast <laughs> yeah. Asia or yeah. Europe or, you know, somewhere in South America. I could travel to anywhere in reason. I mean, you have to have some some sort of funds to do that. But yeah. you know what I mean? Like if, if you have an Internet connection and uh, the willingness to do it and have a platform, a matter if it's your own business, which I, I'm working on trying to do at some point. Um, but freelancing in the meantime, then, yeah, I just, I, I want to get there. And then, I mean, we'll see how the freelancing thing goes. And if yeah. the freelancing thing goes, maybe I do that for a few years while also working mm-hmm. on my own business stuff. And who knows? I mean, that's so exciting. And I really resonate when you're saying, you know, you want to do work that's more meaningful. Oh, um, yeah. That's been a thing in my life forever. Like, Oh, same. This is something that causes me so much turmoil. Um, yep. But, you know, I'm making big strides. Like recently I, I put in my notice at my nine to five job 
and it's you know on paper it's a great job I get paid really well but I'm like fuck that I want I want to do things on my terms and yes it's a risk but my last week is next week I'm doing this podcast I'm trying to set up a business because I really believe thank you yeah it's um it feels good it feels right and I know if I don't give this a go I'll just regret it exactly Um, that's essentially for anyone that's interested that's essentially (laughs) what my podcast is about um it's essentially talking to people like you um just about talking about what they're doing about what Mm -hmm. they want to be doing so maybe Mm -hmm. they are working their nine to five job or they're doing something that they don't like to do or they're younger or whatever it is and Mm -hmm. just getting them to take that step and talking to individuals like yourself that either are taking those steps or maybe are farther down the line and have taken those steps and learned from those people or Mm -hmm. are other people that are like way down the line and learn from those people. And so we can all grow and learn as one. And instead Mm -hmm. of it being this thing of like, oh, everybody just has to work a job in a miserable environment i don't think i think that's i think over time i i obviously somebody has to work but i don't think that i think over time more and more people are going to be doing what they love and care about and like as an example covid for a lot of people opened their eyes to oh shit i don't want to be doing this job for the rest of my life mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. i don't i you know they had some time for reflection and they're just like i damn i miss yeah. i miss socializing with people or whatever it is yeah yeah i mean life is so fragile i know for me you know the big events in my life that really brought that into perspective is when i was 21 i lost my dad in a freak accident and when i was I think 27, I lose track of time, but it was 2019. You know, my mum died of terminal cancer and it was very quick. And those events, yeah. Sorry for your loss. No, thank you. And it's, you know, like it's shit (laughs) and I can get (laughs) angry about it, but it's also, um, it's helping me live a better life because it just, there's not enough time, right? And no. you don't know what's going to happen. You know, like for you, for whatever reason, on that one day when you were 19, you yeah. attempted suicide. Yeah. You could have been gone from this earth, right? I don't know. You know, like if I was to live as long as my dad, I'm already over halfway through my life. Same with my mom. Like yeah. who know? Like you just never know. And so I think I really adopt this mindset of – give it a go like you don't get caught up in the what ifs or or letting fear get in the way because that is not a way to live and especially for people like us who you know live with chronic mental health conditions oh yeah we know we know what it's like to be in the depths of despair so when we're in a place where we're even able to think into the future which is not something i could do when i was in a dark place Mm -hmm. it's just liberating so i really I'm excited at the moment. Like I'm excited for life and I get the feeling that you've, you know, you're excited too and you're moving towards this, you know, freer life. And oh, yeah. Will we ever get there? Who knows? But 
I'd like to think oh, that I'm moving gonna get in that there. direction. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like for the for at least the career based stuff, like freelancing and business stuff, like it's not a matter of like if I'm gonna get there, it's a matter of when. Yeah, love it. It was just so awesome to chat. So thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to coming on your podcast. And for anyone who's interested in your podcast, Josh, um, can you remind them what it's called and where they can find it? It is the Burningly Passionate. It is on any platform that you probably would listen to your podcast on. It's on Apple, uh, the Apple podcast I think that's what they're called now apple yeah. podcast spotify i personally listen to my podcast on spotify mm-hmm. um you can always go to my website to listen to my episodes or figure out i have a blog article on some of the other uh places and that's just the burningly passionate.com perfect awesome thank you so much josh it's good to have you on all right thank you thanks for having me on too this episode resonated with you at all, could I please ask that you share it with a friend who you think could get value from it? And whilst you're doing that, make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss another episode. And whilst you're following or subscribing, please leave us um, a rating, preferably five stars, and also a written review. Doing each of these things is going to help this podcast reach more people and impact more lives, which is at the end of the day is what we're here to do. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Remember, you matter, you're worth it, and you are so, so capable. Take care of yourself, and I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.